Hello, welcome to Real Estate Reality, the podcast we learn about the chaos nobody told you about in real estate. I'm Sean McGowan from North Point Bank. And I'm Holly Bellucci with Homes with Holly at Rise Real Estate Consultants. <laughs> Tonight you're going to learn about the horrors of for sale by owner. So Holly, tell me some of the uh, things you've dealt with <laughs> on the for sale by owner side. So this is a spider web. This is fun. Sellers... Sellers want all the money. They want all the money in their pocket. They don't want to pay an agent. I can put a sign in front of my house and it'll sell in three days. One of our favorite clients that we had together, that was exactly what he said to me. Uh, and I, it, it took some convincing, but we did, we did get his house sold and he understood why and appreciated it at the end. Uh, and I do tease him about that all the time because I'm not done working with him yet. Um, the biggest thing is sellers don't understand that you can't really just put a sign in front of your house and tell people it's for sale. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, very simply, it's active and passive marketing. Um, passive marketing is putting a sign in the ground, even throwing it up on Zillow as for sale by owner. That's waiting for people to come to you. A good agent does active marketing. They go out looking for those buyers for you. So someone may call me for a house at 123 Main Street and we may even go and find it and go and see it um, and they don't love it. It doesn't work. But hey, I have this other house. It may work. It's a little outside the neighborhood you want, but this is why I think it'll work. Let me bring you to that house. Um, I do that for buyers and sellers, but as a good listing agent, that's the biggest thing. Um, right. And some of the things I've seen from the for sale by owner side is they think they can just get the iPhone out, take a couple of pictures, throw them <laughs> on Facebook, and the home is going to sell. And you as the pro actually provide some additional services. So some of those additional services. I just saw a, um, a Zillow listing and it was for sale by owner. Actually, it, it was definitely for sale by owner. And they took a picture. One of my pet peeves is bathroom pictures with the toilet seat up. <laughs> makes me twitch every single time makes me twitch there are some not so good agents that do the same thing because they're still taking pictures on their iphone um no marketing to bachelors yeah well you know I, I feel like stay in your lane i sell houses i'm not a photographer i will pay someone to take pictures of the house uh but for those agents that think they are a photographer uh yeah Put the toilet seat down, but this listing on Zillow actually had the reflection of the person in the mirror taking the picture of the bathroom. <laughs> I think I might have posted it on my social I media. I saw it. Too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, what are some of the other things that, as a real estate professional, you provide to a seller with this property? So when a seller has a listing agent on the house, we talked about on the last episode all the things that happen behind the scenes. When you're selling a house, there's even more things that happen behind the scenes. Um, down the line, after you're in contract, after you've gone through appraisal and inspections and all those fun things, there's little things that happen during business hours, very specifically nine to five. Water meter readings, um, getting payoffs, anything that happens with town hall happens during nine to five. Getting the smoke cert done, you have to call the fire department. Some fire departments only do them one day of the week and they only do them between 11.37 and 12.02. You know, God forbid you want to smoke start in Situate during Columbus Day, Situate Art Festival, they're not coming out. So if a seller works a nine-to-five job, which most of them do, they have to take time out of work to do those things. 
Um, so that's a, that's a big plus as an agent. There are plenty of studies out there that show a professional real estate agent will get a seller more money for the house, which ends up covering any commissions that are being paid. Right, because that's the biggest complaint of the sellers. They right. don't want to pay that 4 5 6% right. commission, but you earn it. Right. You know, with that marketing that you're going to do on that property, you're going to force a bid that's going to be higher than what they're going to get just by listing it on social media. Right, right. And just to kind of trail on what you just said, 4 5 6% listing, there's a big difference between agents. Um there are agents that will give you a discount. What are you getting for that discount? Uh, I just went on a listing appointment today, and the seller said to me, what's your rate? And I said, 12%. And he looked at me, and I looked at him. I said, I'm going to be worth 12% all day long, but this is actually what I'm going to charge you. Um, and there's no set fee for commissions. Everyone charges their own. Um, but I take a lot of financial risk up front. I'm paying for all your marketing. I'm spending a lot of time all up front. And if the house doesn't sell, I'm out a lot of money. Um, so it's something to consider when sellers are interviewing agents. How available are you? Do you Are you full-time? Are you part-time? So there's a lot that goes into it. Um, one of the other big problems with for sale by owner is you may have a custom floor design because you inherited the house from your grandmother and her husband put this design that she loved in the hardwood flooring in the dining room and you love it and your family loves it. And it has a lot of emotional value, but that doesn't translate to dollars. Right. We'll actually turn off a buyer in some cases. Right. And you know, it's a sensitive subject, but unfortunately it, it doesn't translate to dollars and the special screws that you used on the front door. So as an agent, I take the emotional value out of a house and it's very black and white. I run comps. I give you my opinion. I tell you what I think we should price it at, why we should price it at. And then ultimately I always tell people, I'm just the Uber driver. You tell me where you want to go and I will get you there. Um, and I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm not going to tell you your house is worth a million dollars. If you want to list it for a million dollars, I want to sell it for a million dollars. I'm going to make a lot of money. You're going to make a lot of money, but it might not be realistic. So I can, I can take that emotion out of it. You can leave the house, which is also a security issue. Um, when people sell their house on their own, you don't realize how many strangers are coming in the house. Um, you know, my significant other is very protective and he also gets very nervous about the fact that sometimes I'm going into a vacant house with someone I've never met before. You're inviting a stranger into your house and as a seller, you know more about that house than anyone else. So you're going to give that stranger a lot of information. As a listing agent, my job is to know who's coming in. Are they pre-qualified? Are they a tire kicker? Are they a nosy neighbor? what's going on. I also know what procedures I should take to keep myself safe and to keep your house safe. And those are things sellers don't realize. Something else that just kind of popped into my head as we were talking about this. What differentiates you from like the new Redfin thing where they're, you know, the 1% contracts? So my understanding of that, um, and I don't have personal experience, but from talking to other Redfin agents and other discount brokerages, they're all kind of coming out with 
um, different structures. So sellers will pay a la carte. So yes, 1% to list your house. I throw it into MLS and I wait for buyers to come to me. Very much passive marketing. Um, my experience with Redfin is also they have a listing agent. They have a bunch of showing agents. You're not always seeing the same person. Someone else comes to inspections. So sometimes getting information is a little bit more difficult. Um, but yeah, there are plenty of a la carte brokerages. So you pay 1% to list. Oh, you want to do an open house? Well, there's an additional fee. You want to advertise in the newspaper? There's an additional fee. You want professional photography? There's an additional fee. So it adds up to be more um, than just the 1%. And the reason I brought it up is from the lender side. I'm dealing with one right now. <laughs> and these folks... Realtors work, we talked in a previous episode about the number of hours you work per week. Redfin agents are nine to five. And our business, it's Monday to Friday, our business is not nine to five ever. <laughs> no. You know, I, I think I do more work on a Sunday than I do during the week. And these agents are not around. They're, the services that you provide that as a loan officer, or as a client, I need are not accessible on a weekend. Yeah. I need condo docs. You know, that, good luck getting that from a Redfin agent. Yeah. You know. And, and. To be fair, it's not just Redfin. There are bad agents in all brokerages. Um, but I have found that the agents that have been around, they... The career. Yeah, it's it's their career. They're working full-time. It's not a hobby. Um, it's not something fun to do. They made it through the crash of 2006, and they're still here to talk about it. Those are the agents you're going to be able to get in touch with. Um and like I said, there's good and bad agents in every brokerage and everyone structures what they pay differently. Um, I'm more traditional and other people are not. Um, like I said, I'm sure there's great Redfin agents that go above and beyond, but that's not the structure that they have. In full disclosure, we're not singling out Redfin. No. It just happened to be in the tip <laughs> of my tongue at an experience I had today. There are other discount brokerages and they're not all bad. Sean's better. We're going to, we're going to forgive him today. <laughs> I'm sure my turn is coming when he's going to call me in. <laughs> um, but I think the security for a seller is a big thing um, because, you know, we have classes on realtor safety and how to keep people safe. So a seller isn't, unless you're a cop, you're not going to, you're not going to know what to look out for. So that's just a big thing on a personal level, just human to human. Okay. And then, you know, from a point of view of what are some of the other things that you would do that a client that was unrepresented wouldn't know to do during the process as far as marketing his home or dealing with the offer stage? Well, I'm certainly not going to give away all my secrets to everyone that's listening to our podcast, Sean, but <laughs> <laughs> so the marketing stage, I like to do things that are a little bit different. Um, so one of the things I do is, it, not for all properties, it's certainly not going to work for all our properties, but for some properties, I will do an invite-only open house. Specifically, when I have a house in a neighborhood that either has been under construction for a long time or it's a house everyone in town knows and there's been some renovations and everyone wants to know what's going on. I send out invitations with a catchy little phrase on them that I'm again not going to share my secrets um, and I send it out and say you know come and come and take a look Here, get it out of your system bring your friends pick a neighbor you never know I mean it, from a marketing standpoint it works for me it works for the house you never know what's going to happen but that's one of the things that I do um, and it's fun 
it's always it's always fun to do things like that and then from you know, a little bit deeper into the process you know from a sale, for sale by owner situation let's say an appraisal goes bad oof that's your fault that's usually the lender's fault usually when i <laughs> i get chewed out by both sides of the transaction from both realtors i may actually get a call from the seller once in a while in a really odd situation blaming me for hiring the appraiser who came it short in fairness a lot of banking practices have changed and Sean can talk more about that, but the, the lender does not quote hire the appraiser. Um, but there are appraisers. So appraisals are a tricky thing. And I always warn my sellers and my buyers that appraisals should be black and white. We should be able to get five appraisers to go into a house and theoretically they should all come up with the same value. It doesn't always happen. For one reason or another, there there is an opinion there. It's a, it's a subjective opinion. Appraisers go to school to learn how to do this, but they're going to vary. And I always say, if your appraiser missed their coffee in the morning and they caught every red light on the way to the house, value's not coming in. <laughs> <laughs> I always wonder, you know, maybe you get the young female appraiser who sees a spider and goes, ooh, <laughs> um, this one's not going to appraise today. <laughs> I had one recently um, who the appraiser was super nice, very sweet woman, didn't really want to walk very far. Um, And the driveway was long and she walked in and she stood at the bottom of the stairs of the house and she said, oh, what's on the second floor? I said, full bathroom, three bedrooms. All right, I guess I should go up the stairs. She went up the stairs and did her measurements and, you know, did her thing. And we went down in the basement and she just didn't didn't want the information. She didn't want the comps I had prepared for her, which is fine. Some appraisers see that as you're not doing my job for me. Fine. I'll, I will help you. I don't want to step on your toes. Um, but she just didn't want to look around. And we got the appraisal report in for the buyer. And it said it was just blatantly wrong. It said that there was an in-ground pool. There was no in-ground pool. Take the pool. Yeah. (laughs) So things like that, you can't just take an appraisal for face value. You have to dig into it and see why didn't it come in? What's going on? You have to gauge the demeanor of the appraiser while you're there and roll with the punches on that because the two people I don't fight with in a transaction, the fire inspector and the appraiser, because if you fight with them, you're not closing. No, you're not. <laughs> you have to be their friend. And again, that goes back to the relationship between the real estate agent and the loan officer. Yeah, from, Tinder. Uh, Tinder. Tinder for <laughs> realtors. And you know, as a, an experienced loan officer, I, I know how to read an appraisal. I can, yeah. in a lot of cases, tell you, you know what? You're wrong. Yeah. But we're not going to be able to fight this. This is the value situation we're going to be dealing with. And you know, guide you in a direction where, all right, maybe you need to renegotiate to take a different step in the process. Yeah, you and I had a transaction recently that was an ideal situation for my buyer, and we thought, well, I thought we could get it to work one way. And Sean all along said, I'll try it. I don't know if this is going to work. And the value didn't come in, and we had to restructure things, and we did a lot of homework on it, um, and we're halfway through it. Uh, but we'll, we got the first half closed. We're working on the second half now. But... All along, we had the communication. This is what we're going to try. This is why I'm not sure if it's going to work. And if it doesn't, this is what we're going to do. We had a clear plan 
in place to make the client happy. Right. And those are the conversations that your buyer, excuse me, your seller and your real estate agent need to have up front, whether it's you, Holly, and a client or another one. Right. You know, when you're the, when you're the agent showing the property to your buyer, yeah. if you can deal with that listing agent in that same transaction, that listing agent did not know what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, multiple times he called me and I had and to you know what? He didn't process. work for Redfin. No, he did not. <laughs> he was actually working for a fairly reputable agency. And... <laughs> didn't really know the process and again that's the skill of having a skilled agent the skill of having an agent like holly who actually knows the business and can point that agent in the right direction between you know the loan officer and that agent we can fix the process yeah it's funny i have a client that i've had for a very long time he's an investor and great guy uh very loyal to me another agent that he knew through a group of friends brought him a deal and it was a really great deal for him and he called me and said hey listen this is what's happening I don't want you to hear it through the grapevine I'm gonna buy this property it was over a million dollars so after I got over the sting of not knowing about this secret property that he was gonna buy and someone else was making a sizable commission on it he kept me in the loop every step of the way because it was a very messy transaction his age the person that brought it to him was a brand new agent the husband and my client were friends. That's how the connection happened. And every single time there was a bump in the road, he called me and said, what do you think I should do? And of course, I did, I, I got all the information for him. I knew where to go. I knew who to call. I got it done for him. And at the end of the day, on closing day, he called me and said, I'm closed. Thank you so much. And, you know, the next purchase or sell will come to me. Um, but that's what you have to do. You have to say to him, you know, I think if X, Y, and Z happen, this is where you're going to end up. Be prepared for A, B, and C to happen, but this is how we can fix it. Um, and unfortunately, his agent just wasn't experienced enough to know those things, and this was a sizable purchase. So it was. It, she was a little bit overhead. I'm sure she's going to learn very well, but, uh, you know, that was a long-time long client of mine that I will see very soon because we stayed in touch the whole time, but it's frustrating to have someone not be represented the correct way. And I'm always happy to fix it. I'm always happy to fix it. Always happy to give the information to a client that I need to. Uh, but Another thing I kind of see in the process that I, I think it's important for the, for the agent representing the seller is managing when the loan officer tells their buyer, they're going to need an extension. There's an <laughs> issue with the loan. You know, as the, as the agent representing that seller, you know, where did you, what do you do with that? Oof. So that's a, a loaded question. So I guess the biggest question is, I meant it that way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> as Sean's looking at me over the table with a smirk, cause he knew exactly where we were going with this. Um, there's a million reasons why a lender would need, or a buyer would need an extension. Some of them are legit. Some of them are not. Um, so sometimes it's a matter of we're two days to closing. Closing department at the lender is backed up because rates dropped and everybody and their brother is refinancing and the closing department's backed up. It happens. It's fine. If the lender says to me, I need an extra day to get the closing package to the attorneys. Great. No problem. Here's your extension. However, we have had times where a buyer lost their job. And they're scrambling to get another job before the lender finds out or get a pay, a pay stub to qualify for the loan. 
Um, so if the seller doesn't have an agent, they're not going to know what questions to ask about why you need that extension. And when they get an answer, are they going to know if it's a legit answer or not? And from a good loan officer point of view, or at least I think I'm a good loan officer. Or you play one on TV. I play one on TV. <laughs> when I get that call from the seller's agent, I actually appreciate the call because there's no BS. Yeah. It is what it is. You know, I, the role of a loan officer should not be to hide any issues. If right. there's an issue with a loan, communicate it to everybody. Get it out there. Make sure that you're dealing with it up front. If the loan doesn't work, it doesn't work. Right. The market is so hot right now, the property can be relisted probably for more money. Right. But just be honest up front, blow it out. Yep. And there are a lot of issues that can blow up a loan. You know, <laughs> yeah. you called me the other day with a client that we both know and said, you noticed a new car in the driveway. Yeah. Um, yes. That it can be a challenge. You know, clients <laughs> do crazy things during the process. Oh. You know, I've had... I had a loan two years ago, with thankfully not with you, but prior, <laughs> the day prior to close, we do an inquiry check in this new credit card with a $50,000 balance. She decided she wanted to transfer her credit cards to a lower interest rate. You look at that from the outside, you think, that's a great move. Right. She's going to save a few hundred dollars a month, but from a mortgage point of view, we've got a new debt. Right. And now we have to document that every one of those credit cards was paid off, and that takes time. And you know, in these transactions, there's a pyramid effect. Yeah. You know, a lot of times that, you know, Holly will have a closing for the purchase. And then a couple hours later, that person who sold is buying their next property. Yep. And it may go further down the track. And we've all had issues with that over the years. And that's where a skilled real estate agent will pick out, all right, this is a disaster. This is not. One of the simple things to, uh, in a daisy chain transaction, is just organizing the move. Because the seller has to be out of the house for the buyers to do a walkthrough. They need to do a walkthrough of their new house. When are the movers coming? They don't want to pay to store their furniture overnight. That's a Tetris game of time and energy and moving companies. That's one of the very little things that we help navigate. There's a million things along the way. Um, But time is a big, big thing for sellers when they don't want to, or they don't think they need to use a listing agent. It's just managing all the time that they need to put into selling a house. And just managing those expectations. A lot of times when I get a contract, sometimes I get a call the next day from the buyer asking if they can book a moving truck yeah. or should they take <laughs> that day out of work. Yep. And you know, from a loan officer point of view, I try to assist that real estate agent and bring some reality to it. You know, there's a lot of moving pieces here. Yeah. Don't schedule that day out of work until... You got to clear to close. Yeah. I recently had a transaction um, where the seller was older and the buyer was a young kid and the seller had a ton of stuff to move out of the house. And there was a chicken coop or a shed or something in the back that was falling apart. Had to be taken down for the appraisal. So the buyer showed up at the house, knocked on the door and said, hey, can I come next weekend to take down that shed or chicken coop? We had just gone into purchase and sales contract. We hadn't had an appraisal. We hadn't gotten a commitment letter, nothing. And the seller didn't realize, he thought he was, he thought it was helpful that the buyer was saying this. And when he, when I found out after the fact, I had to explain, well, if this loan doesn't go through, because there's about 75 more steps that we have to go through to find out if they're even actually approved for this mortgage, you now don't have a shed. And the liability of having that person in your property Absolutely. If somebody gets hurt, if anything, a, a, you know, they have a gas can and it catches on fire, there's a million things that could happen. So 
a lot of times it may seem like an agent is being difficult. They're really just trying to protect their clients and, and sellers can really get burned just because they don't know. They're not educated. They're not licensed to sell real estate and it's our job to let them know, okay, this is the risk. You can, you're still in the driver's seat. You're still making the decision. These are the risks. This is what I advise you to do. Right. And the financial implications of that can be enormous. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If you burn down a house that you're thinking you're going to sell, you don't get the same (laughs) amount of money. (laughs) Although there's a listing in Massachusetts right now that's a a burned out house that's getting pretty good money. So (laughs) it's been all of a Zillow all over the news. It's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. Another point I, I wanted to hit, and you know, it's another experience I'm dealing with right now with a seller who, excuse me, a buyer who's completely unrepresented on both sides of the transaction. Oh, wow. So we have a clear to close, mm-hmm. and we've done our job. North Point Bank has gotten the deal finished. At this stage, we contact the attorney. We tell them we're clear to close. Mm-hmm. We're trying to negotiate the closing disclosure so that our buyer knows exactly we has to bring to close. Attorney stops us in our tracks and lets us know that buyer inspection hasn't been scheduled with the City of Providence for the smoke cert. <laughs> city of Providence is almost 20 days back right now yeah. for the certificate. And, you know, unfortunately, Providence is a do-you-know-a-guy type of situation yeah. sometimes, <laughs> so they're trying to get a favor. But you might have a connection, Providence Fire. I, I may have somebody. <laughs> um, you know a guy? <laughs> I know a guy, and that's typical Rhode Island again. <laughs> Um, go back to our previous episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, the problems this creates is now our buyer is out. His rate yeah. lock's going to expire. We've created another expense for the buyer. And you can jeopardize the deal entirely with a cash-to-close situation. Yeah. So these type of things where you're completely disorganized as a seller and that seller's agent could have guided you through the process, could have reverted disaster. You know. Yeah, and in all fairness to a seller – they, they don't generally know what's required. They don't know that they have to get a final water meter reading until a day or two before closing when an attorney might say, did you do this? They don't know that they need the fire department to come in and do that inspection unless someone tells them. Um, and most closing attorneys rely on the agents to do that, so they're not going to think to do it. So that's why it's really important to have an agent involved. And another episode down the road, we'll talk about title attorneys. <laughs> And why you should have a good one. <laughs> Attorneys. Oh, boy. So you know, another situation, Holly, we want to talk about is inspections yeah. and what those inspections drive in the process, you know, whether it be from a mortgage product or even you know, expectations setting with what to expect when you're actually getting a bid in your property based on a home inspection. Yeah, so a uh, couple of things. When you do an inspection, there is some things that a lender – requires and some that they don't. So one of the products that you would determine which fits the buyer is an FHA loan. Um, And there are certain guidelines that we have to abide by. You can't have a broken window. You can't have chipping paint. So when you do an inspection, generally the listing agent would prep the seller to say, this might be called out on an appraisal. Your roof is a three-tab roof. There's moss growing all over it might be at the end of its life, they might call out the roof on the appraisal because that's an FHA guideline. Um, So by prepping the seller for that, they know what to expect on that inspection report. Now, if a buyer comes back and they're asking for a whole bunch of other things, well, then what's required for FHA and what's not required for FHA? 
Um, and that's a discussion between the listing agent and the seller for those realistic expectations of what they're going to have to do if they want to sell this house and what would be nice to do for the buyer because they're asking for it, but they don't certainly don't have to. Maybe recommending to that seller, hey, if you do these minor repairs, we can avoid yourself it. up to possibly getting a VA or an FHA transaction versus limit yourself to conventional buyers. Right, because some houses, there's just so much work that needs to be done. Either sellers don't want to do the work before they sell a house, so it's not going to qualify for an FHA loan, and most agents will know that just by going through it, and you are doing yourself a disservice if you don't tell your seller that because that's a train wreck if you're not upfront about it. Sometimes it's just little things that need to be done. Um, but roofs are generally a big thing. Appraisers for FHA loans don't like to see crappy-looking roofs. Crappy-looking <laughs> roofs, that chipping paint, that stairway without the railing. And Broken those, window, yeah. Broken window is a big deal. I mean, some of those repairs can be very minor. They can be a few hundred dollars. Some can be tens of thousands. Right. And I, so some things, so the FHA rule, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, I think it's three steps, three or four steps, and you need a railing. I believe it's three steps. So three steps. So some decks that are low to the ground have three really wide, long steps, and it's a decorative thing. That's how they're supposed to look. They're not supposed to have a railing. So, I mean, you know as well as I do, some sellers will go out there with three two-by-fours and tack it up so that the buyers can take it down right after. And as silly as that sounds, that will meet the FHA guideline. Right. But that's something that a skilled agent will know and be able to possibly get more offers based on convening that to the, to the seller. Right. So if a seller got a report from a buyer and they say, well, FHA won't approve this loan unless you have a railing on your beautiful Trex deck that's in the backyard that you paid a lot of money for unless you have a railing. And it totally changes the aesthetic of that deck, let's face it. Uh, but as a listing agent, I can say to my seller, this is an easy fix, couple of nails, doesn't have to be pretty, it just has to be functional. The buyers can take it down right after. They could potentially lose the deal because they think they need to install this railing when it's just really a temporary fix. And sticking with inspections for a second, you know, when a buyer brings you their home inspection and presents the different issues from their home inspection, I think that you know, as that listing agent, you can kind of read through the BS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, how do you handle your know, requests from a, a listing, from a buyer's agent on ridiculous requests? So I had one inspection report. I'll never forget it. It was 15 items. It was, it was huge. But it was little tiny things like um, they wanted to make sure all the windows had screens and Little, little tiny things, but the number of items on the list didn't even fit on one page. It, it went on to a second page. So if a seller gets that without a representation, they're going to look at it and they're going to tell that buyer to take a long walk off a short pier because they're asking for the moon. But if you weed through that kind of BS, most of the time in a transaction, the repairs are just another negotiating point. So the What's the buyer looking for? Are they looking for a seller credit? Are they looking for these repairs to actually be done? Do they want the price lowered? Gauging that is a conversation between the listing agent and the buyer's agent. And and then you can figure out what's important to this buyer. What can I get my seller to do? I can't tell you how many times the seller will say, well, I don't have somebody to do that. Well, I do. I've been doing this long enough to have plumbers and carpenters and roofers and all of those people that I've referred to that I can call them and say, hey, I have this problem. Can you squeeze me in? Sometimes, Most of the time they can. Sometimes they can't. Most of the time they can. Um, and 
over the years, you just accumulate people that can help you get a deal closed, and then you get rid of the fluff that's asked for. And that's actually a great point. The referral network is incredibly important. Yeah. You know, even from the lender point of view, I can't get every loan done. You know, you have a referral network. You know, I hate to say it. There are other guys in the industry who can't (laughs) do things that I can't do. And I don't have a conscience if that's the way it has to be. It has to be. And we can deal with that. We're big people. Yeah. you know, as, as a realtor, we respect that. That's that's the business we're in. Yeah, I mean, I have clients that want to move out of state. I'm licensed in Rhode Island, Connecticut, Massachusetts, but sometimes they want to go to New Jersey or they want to go to New York or they want to go to Florida. North you... Point Bank, all 50 states, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not driving to all 50 states for listings or buyers. I love you all, but I'm not doing that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's... I have an agent in Florida that I work with. She's great. But even, it's funny because in Rhode Island, we're so small. We Most of us work the entire state. But in Florida, they work, you know, one area. So I have lots of referrals. I got a great agent in Marietta, Georgia that I work with. So when someone wants to move out of state, you know, you, right. you have to have that network. You want to keep your relationship with your client and you want to make sure they're getting taken care of on the other end. So Right. And that referral network, again, is huge. You know, yeah. You've got a client of mine now in Attleboro that just bought a home in South Carolina. Yep. So that referral network works back and forth. Yep. You know, another thing we want to hit is just setting expectations on closing day. Oof. So from the seller side, what does the seller need to know on closing day? So a lot of times sellers don't realize that when the buyer comes for a final walkthrough, they need to be 100% out of the house. So... They and think they're not always dealt with that. <laughs> no, no. There have definitely been times where I have had sellers' items in my car because they didn't fit in the moving truck and the buyers needed to get in. Um, I actually took one of my sellers' dog home for three days. Oh my goodness. So I, I went home with a, a 75 pound pit bull. <laughs> Poor John was like, What are you doing? <laughs> Please don't eat my children. <laughs> no, he was so sweet. He did want to eat the cat like a Tic Tac, but uh, the kids, he was he was very sweet. I loved him. Um, but yeah, it, you have to make sure your seller understands that they need to be 100% out of the house at walkthrough. So their stuff needs to be out. They need to be out of the house because when the buyer comes through, they want to make sure the floors aren't scratched any more than they were when they saw it at the showing. There's no holes in the walls. Um, you know, the glass isn't broken from the movers moving out. Those are all things that come up. There's no water leaking. It, silly little things that can happen, but they, they're also manageable. We can fix those things. We can take care of those things. We just need to know what the buyer is getting when they sign those papers. Right, and then there's even the opportunity to deal with it if it happens. You can do a hold harmless agreement. And yep. You as a realtor know how to negotiate that with the attorney. Yep, not a problem. The one thing that's hard to negotiate is when sellers decide to leave pets behind. That's a little bit Pets more. behind. Oh, my goodness. Cats. No one wants the cat. No one's cat. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's as far as, you know, when you're when you're trying to sell or buy without an agent, there's so much that happens behind the scenes. And there's so much that happens between a lender and an agent that no one realizes. That is our biggest biggest relationship is the lender and the agent. That's what's going to get the job done. Um, whether you're the listing or the buyer's agent, it's so important. When I get offers that come in on the listing side, if I have multiple offers, I'm going to look at who the lender is. That's the first thing I'm going to look at because there are some spaceship companies that 
I would prefer not to work with. Um, local lenders are someone in-house that buyers can talk to. They can drop something off at the office if they need to. You've met people in parking lots to grab I documents. met one of your clients yesterday at a <laughs> Wendy's. <laughs> you just wanted a Frosty. We all know. I <laughs> oh, can't resist fries. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, when you have an online bank. I'm sure they're great for some services. It's not really the easiest thing to deal through. Um, but that's the, that's the most important thing is that communication. Everyone, if you do not have a good lender agent relationship, it's going to make the transaction really difficult. I think that's enormous. And, you know, from the lender side of that, we're available. Yeah. And you know, availability in our industry is huge. And yep. that's the drawback to dealing with those online agencies. You know, guy in Detroit, Michigan for, I don't want to say the company, but <laughs> Fast Home Loans <laughs> is only available nine to five. And, uh, you know, that's, that doesn't work in our industry. You know, Holly yeah. needs an answer at nine o'clock on a Sunday night with myself or one of my competitors locally, we're available. Yeah. And you know, that's enormous. Or even from, you know, when she's listing it, when she's dealing with the, the seller side yeah. and she has an offer and she just doesn't know, hey, is this okay? Yeah. You know, with that relationship, she can actually still make the call and I'll coach her on the you know, accepting offers. And how many times have I called you and said, hey, I don't know this person. Do you know them? And most of the time you will or you can get information just to, you know, it might be the best offer. But if I don't know the loan officer, right, that's a tough call for me to make. It's, you know, it's, it's hard to do. You know, one of your competitors who... I do work with occasionally on a rare occasion, right, Sean? Right. <laughs> His voicemail says, I will call you back in 10 minutes. So it's a joke because I say, okay, it's been 11 minutes and you haven't <laughs> called me back yet. <laughs> but it's true. If, if we don't get a call back, we're, you know, it's, it's hard. It makes things difficult. Yeah, unfortunately, this industry is an instant gratification industry. If I'm not available, the next guy is. Yeah. Oh, so, same thing you know, with agents. We yeah. have to be responsive. Yep. Yep. You know, and as hard as that sounds, that's the life we chose. You know, our wives, husbands hate it, but. Sometimes we have to get called on the carpet. Put your phone away. This is yeah. my time. Occasionally that does happen. I have a family trip tomorrow. We're going out to New Hampshire, and I can already dread my wife complaining the entire ride. Please stop texting. <laughs> <laughs> But she's going to be doing the driving while you're texting, right? She just wants no, to have actually, meaningful conversation with you? She hates this. I actually hand her my phone and I I dictate to her what to text. Ah, uh, yes. That is why I have a 16-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> she sits in the passenger seat and, <laughs> and does my text for and me. I make her read them back and I actually correct her punctuation, which... In you, text, Sean? In text. Oh, I'm Sean. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do you put a double space after a period, too? I usually do. Yeah. <laughs> My children hate it. They think I'm ridiculous, but at 50 years old, that's what we do. <laughs> An audience makes a podcast. If you have any questions or anything you want to know about, please email us. Of course, I have a partner with a difficult name to spell, so our email address is realitywithsean, S-E-A-N, and holly at gmail.com. 